0: Philippians. Um, It's uh, Paul loved this little church. The recurrent themes throughout our consecration, love uh, of Christ for the church, love, spiritual joy within the church. It's a great uh, thing. and and the first chapter, he was just, um, again, confirming the fact that verse 5, it was the fellowship and the gospel from the very first day. That's what drew them together is the gospel of Christ. He talked later on about the uh, furtherance of the gospel, end of verse 12, that this is a church that wanted to get the gospel out there. They wanted it to go to new places where it hadn't been. They wanted to go to ears that haven't heard it, the furtherance of the gospel. Now, one of the things he was mentioning is that He was in bonds because of the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, my bonds in Christ. And I'm over here in the Roman palace, you know, and here I am in bonds. And he was giving his heart in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Well, you you might die, Paul. They might kill you. Well, to die is gain. I mean, if I die, I'm in heaven. It's better in heaven than it is over here in my bonds in the palace. But while I'm alive, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And so as he's winding up the first chapter, because you're going to see chapter 2 is really connected to the last part of chapter 1. Because chapter 2, if there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship, any bowels, any mercies, why are you saying that? Well, Because at the end of the last chapter, he was encouraging his readers in Philippi, his fellow saints. Verse 27, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You keep with that gospel. Whether I come and see you or I'm absent, you don't need me as your leader. You've got the Holy Ghost as your leader. You've got Christ as your leader. You just in the middle of that verse, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, strive together for the faith of the gospel. And then he goes on, and in nothing be terrified by your adversaries. Because the reality is if you stand for that gospel, you're going to have adversaries. Now I like the people that are indifferent. I always tell my wife I'm not looking for friends. I'm not looking for enemies. I'm just looking for neutrals. I want a lot of neutrals. But, but the reality is, you stand for that gospel, you make enemies. And you do make a few friends. There's a few over here that will shake my hand. I mean, after I wash it with alcohol, but you know. And, but we're going to have adversaries when you stand for that truth. Now many people will be indifferent to it. But some people, it's like hitting a hornet's nest. They're going to come after you. He says, and in nothing, 28, uh, terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition. What do you mean, Paul? He's saying, look, if somebody gets really that mad at the gospel, they've already shown you they've chosen the devil and, and hell and perdition. They've chosen the wrong side. The guys that are neutral, still they're still on the fence. So when we preach on the streets yesterday, you know, most people will maybe look for a moment and, and perhaps listen. I would tell them, stop looking, listen, or you'll be missing. But I don't know if they got that. But, uh, and, you know, for a moment they might listen and then they turn away. But most of them are kind of indifferent. Every so often, someone will roll down the window and curse at us or give us, you know, all kinds of obscene gestures. That's an evident token of their perdition when somebody takes that much. Uh, adversity of the gospel and opposition to the gospel. And not only that, he's saying when you're striving for the gospel, to you it's uh, an evident token of your salvation. Someone who stands for the gospel, you're showing people, I'm saved. And if you don't, maybe you don't have that token of salvation. Now he tells you that is of God. I mean God wants to stir you up to do it. Let him stir up the good gift. Verse 29, and the fear is, well, for unto you it is given on in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Well, that's why I don't want to stand up and say anything. I don't like suffering. And he's going to show us in the next chapter why we can go forward and do it. Because God has uh, the bomb of Gilead for the suffering. He has the consolation. I mean this chapter, which today, chapter 2, the consolation that's in Christ. He knows this is going to happen. How does he know? He's already walked the road before you. He knows the end from the beginning. He realizes that there's a battle out there. He realized the devil, not only the adversary of God, he has his Minions who are going to be adversaries of you—they might put you in bonds, like Paul is. And he's saying, "Look, you're going to suffer for him." Verse thirty: Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now you here to be in me. When they first heard about Paul going to Rome, they were excited. This is great! The great street preacher is going to hit the the capital of the empire. This is going to be great. Paul's going to be on the streets preaching. Whoa! What? Paul's in jail. And they're trying to figure this out. Now God is going to work this. He's going to try and stir up other Christians in Rome to stand up in Paul's behalf, you know, in his place and preach the gospel. And men did. And, and the gospel did reach Rome. So how the heck it turned into Roman Catholicism? That's the devil. But the gospel didn't do that to them. It was right there. But the reality is if you have the faith of the gospel, and you have the fellowship of the gospel, and you want to further that gospel, you're going to have... you're going to suffer. It's the truth. But the sufferings are short, and they're light compared to the eternal weight of glory and reward you're going to get from the Lord. God's trying to get us to change our eye and get the right perspective. So he goes on in chapter 2, now if there, therefore, there be any consolation in Christ, consolation, that's the noun of the verb to console. To console is to cheer one's mind in time of distress or depression. I mean here you are, you're out there, I want to give you good news and this is the response you get. And and it distresses us. Like, why would you respond? I have something good for you. It's free. And and we hear it over and over and over. And we go home and we get a little bit depressed. It, it troubles us. We're people. God has consolation for that. He can cheer our mind in times of distress and depression. He can alleviate the grief that we get when we hear about those things. Brother Miguel was just talking to us. We were uh, downstairs for a little bit we trying to skip out of the service, but somebody noticed I wasn't here, so I had to come back. But he was talking to me about what happened in Chile and that horrible atrocity down there. And yes, it grieves us. That's grief to us when we hear those things. We need our grief alleviated. We need the refreshment of our spirit. That's what the consolation of Christ does. This is good. God's watching out for you. Jesus is looking out for you. His desire is to console you. His desire is to, verse uh, 2, give you the comfort of love. That's His love. His desire is to give you the fellowship of the Spirit. And the fellowship of the Spirit, individually fellowshipping with the Spirit, collectively coming together with other people who have the Spirit, and the collective fellowship which makes the Spirit uh, shine brighter. I mean, that's why God calls the church a candlestick. I mean, you got one candle. There's only so much light. You bring a second candle, another candle. You get the fellowship of all this, and it, oh, it's a lot more powerful. You know the light is brighter when we're together than when we're alone. The fellowship of the Spirit. This is part of the consolation of Christ. If there be any bowels and mercies. uh, The bowels, again, it's like the word body, B-O, the d y. And then wells, and an L is taken off. And, and it's the well inside the body from which comes life. Because talk about the, the, out of the bowels will come a child, the, the life, the seed of life. Uh, I'm looking naturally. The bowels out of which you get emotions. Uh, the, so the heart, the life. Now, spiritually, the life giving force of the gospel and God's heart and the mercies that attend it. God's great desire is for us to pour a cup of mercy and grace to lost people. This is the consolation of Christ. If, verse watch, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, there is. If there be any comfort of love, there is. If there be any fellowship of the Spirit, there is. Any bowels and mercy, you better believe there is Then you can fulfill my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And what he's talking about, the unity of the Spirit in the consolation of Christ for the glory of God in the gospel of Christ. That's what we're here for, is to give glory to God through the gospel of Christ and to work together with one mind, with one spirit, with he uses the word one accord. At first I thought it was an accordion, but but it means it means the heart. Cordia is the Latin term for heart. It's one heart coming together. And and what he's saying is the consolations in Christ, what are some of these consolations? Well, back in the last chapter, it kind of ties into it. Verse 28, you're terrified in nothing by your adversaries. You are not afraid. Why? Because God has something in his book that is wonderful that he says over and over to those who are his friends. Let's take a look at some of them. Go to Genesis chapter 15, the first friend of God, Abraham. And God wants to be your friend. And Jesus said, I call you friends. Genesis 15, what is the consolation that will make me not be terrified by an enemy? Well, in the 14th chapter, Abraham was involved in a battle to save his nephew and a lot of people that lived around his nephew, relatives, and he saved them all. And when he got back, his fear was, what if that army that originally captured them comes after me? He was a bit afraid and terrified that he could, I've just did a good thing for God, I wonder if there's going to be retribution for it. I just stood and I preached publicly at the workplace. I wonder if I'm going to lose my job. This makes us afraid sometimes. You can't do that around here. Okay, maybe they say you can't, but God says I can. Chapter 15, and after this, when you stand for God, like Abraham did in the 14th chapter, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, I'm thy shield, and I'm the exceeding great reward. You know why we don't have to be terrified by our enemies? You'll find 62 times in 25 books of God's Word fear not. Fear not. In times of peril in times where it looks like there's an enemy gathered against you that might come against you God says I'm thy shield and I'm thy reward. Why should I be afraid of man when I put my confidence and trust in the Lord? Why should I fear someone whose breath can be taken from him at any moment and one is the eternal God? It, the consolation in Christ is we know we have protection in times of peril. God told us, fear not. Go, for example, to 2 Kings chapter 6. These things are written for our ensample, these things are written for our admonition, these things are written for our comfort. There's consolation in Christ. And in the Bible, the Word of Christ that shows us how He's worked, the, there's no shadow of turning with God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, when it comes to the battle for truth and the battle against the enemies of God and the protection of my children, I don't change, Jesus says. Fear not. I'm thy shield. I'm thy reward. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, did I put the right? Yeah. Elisha was out there and the king of Syria had sent an army after him. And One of the uh, servants went out one day, verse 14, he sent uh, horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night, and they come past the city all about where Elisha and his uh, servant were. And when the servant of the man of God uh, rose up early in the morning and went forth, behold, a host come past the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with him. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You say, I- I've never seen that. Well, there's a prayer we're supposed to take, you know, we might not get visual things, but, but the prayer in the Bible is, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. Let me read the book and see your faithfulness and know that you haven't changed. And God hasn't changed. He's the same God today that he was back then. You have protection in times of peril. I'll give you another one. Go to Genesis 26. You don't have to be terrified by your adversaries. Fear not. That's a very short little phrase. Four letters and three letters. Both one syllable. Easy for a child to understand. Fear not. Genesis 26. And this is the time with Isaac. Isaac and Isaac is trying to dig some wells, and the Philistines and the men of Gerar are trying to stop up all the wells, and he's moving from place to place, and he's, he's getting a little frustrated. Every time I go to this street corner, they chase me out. I go to that street corner, they chase me out. I go here, nobody lets me do it. Verse 24... And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and I will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And you say, well, I'm not a child of Abraham. No, you're a child of Jesus Christ by the new birth. And Jesus served his father, and God the Father says, You're serving my son. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you and accompany you through your journey in life. I'm not going to leave you alone. You don't have to be afraid of the adversaries. I'll give you another one. Go to uh, Genesis 43. All through the scriptures, fear not. This consoles me. Does this help you? This is why we read the scriptures for our comfort, for the strengthening. We're not the first ones to face this. No trial and temptation have taken uh, advantage of us. That It's common to our brothers. They've been through it. And God is faithful who will find a way to bring us through it. Fear not, little child. Fear not, little flock. Genesis uh, 43. And uh, Jacob is, uh, wants to send his kids to get some extra food in a time of need. And it came to pass, verse 21 when we came to the inn, we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. We were supposed to pay for this. Our money was still there at full weight. Well, we've brought it again in our hand, and other money have we brought in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put the money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you, fear not. Your God, the God of your Father, hath given you treasure in your sacks. Amen. God will make supply in times of need. God will provide all his, all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Fear not, little flock. I, I know we're worried right now in America maybe things are going to change. What's going to happen to us? Fear not. Are you, are you living for God? Are you living for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then he's responsible for you. He'll take care of you. Fear not. Supply in times of need. There was another time when there was a famine in 1 Kings 17 and the oil stayed and the grain stayed and all the provision. Fear not, he told him, Don't worry. God's going to take care of this. You don't have to be terrified of your adversary. You've got the God of the universe on your side. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me give you another one. Go to Isaiah 41. I like this stuff we need some encouragement. The devil wants to discourage us. He wants to distress us. He wants to put us in a state of depression. And God says, I'll console you. I will cheer your mind through the scriptures. I will alleviate any fears and grief you have. I will refresh your spirit. Isaiah 41. (laughs) Keep silence before me. but, But what I really like is verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse 13, I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, he says in the next verse. we got nothing to be afraid of you've got you're on God's side who's on the Lord's side then he's on your side consolation in Christ strength in times of weakness i'm weak lord i can't do this I, I, there's many times when my, my wife particularly because she's been through that bad heart attack and she wants to serve and and she comes driving to church here and wondering can i am I going to be able to do my my portion at the church greeting the people and then leading us in the songs And she prays, and guess who gives her the strength? She'll tell you time and time and time again. And some of the toughest times have been at the funerals where where, where we've lost one of our loved ones, Sister Julia. uh, 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 Brother, help me. Jerry. I'm bad with names. I'm old. <laughs> Brother Jerry. I mean, these people go home and then we're supposed to do the memorial service and my wife is asked to do a special and a song and her heart is breaking and, and the Lord just comes right in and strengthens her through the entire piece. Amen. That's the Lord. He's with us. That's the consolation. The strength in times of weakness in, his, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. Fear not, little child. I'll give me another one. Go to Isaiah 43. Verse 1 Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel. Do you remember where you came from? How do you think you got here in the first place? You didn't have the strength to get born. You didn't have the strength to get born again. It was God that created you and put the new birth inside of you. (laughs) Fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. I gave you the name Christian thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And though the rivers, they're not going to overflow thee. times You're not going to drown. I'm not going to let it happen. When you walk through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. I am the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Amen. You are going to have companionship in every trial when it's a trial for the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. That's why Paul was in prison and God was right there with him. You don't have to be terrified by those adversaries. You've got the God of the universe right there behind you. Just get behind him. Just hide behind him. (laughs) Let him lead the way. Let me give you another one. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus is, uh, in verse 5, he's, uh, he's sending forth the 12. And he's uh, commanding them to, now, in, the, in that time, it was just to Israel, go not to the Gentiles, Aren't any city of the Samaritans, go to the uh, lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, much later, on the day of resurrection, he said, now you have permission to go to Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. And so now he's extended the command at this day. And it's, it's extended for us. And sometimes we worry as we see things that are happening and, and he says in skipping down later on in verses uh, 30 and 31, the very hairs of your head, they're all numbered. Fear ye not therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. In other words, my, my father and I have omniscient care over you. We're watching everything you're doing. We intimately know what you're doing. Remember, Jesus sent them forth to do work. You're doing work on our behalf. We've we got everything under control. We know how many hairs are on your head. We know how many pennies are in your pocket. We know what your needs are. We've got eyes on you at all time. In the Old Testament it said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth but in the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy it says but his eye is always on Jerusalem. Jerusalem Today his eye is all, always on his children that are serving him trying to build the true Jerusalem, the temple of his glory by his gospel. Eyes are always on you as long as you're serving him. Fear not, you don't have to be afraid of the adversary. You've got omniscient care. He knows everything. Not only that, last one I'll give you and there's others you can look at. Like I say, it's 62 times in 25 books. Go to Revelation. We'll finish here with the fear nots. We've got other things to teach. I'll try and hurry along. Revelation chapter 1. Prepare to meet thy God. And now finally it happens to John and he gets to meet God. And he has the response all of us are probably going to have, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, as dead. Here I am in the presence of, of the eternal God with all the power and who am I I'm but a worm before him. And then he laid his right hand on me and he said, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. And you don't have to fear because I control life beyond the grave. The keys are in my hand and you're mine. And I just lifted you up. And those keys have nothing to do with you, death and hell. I've got the key of life for you. Life beyond the grave. That's the. That's why Ed wrote that book, The Afterlife. People are wondering. Ancient civilizations in Mesopotamia and Egypt and uh, and Greece were all wondering what happens in the afterlife. Jesus says, "I've got the keys. I have control of life after death. Fear not." What a blessing. The consolation in Christ to cheer us up in times of distress, distress, uh, depression, times that we're grieved, to give refreshment to our spirit. We're getting it right now. You're getting refreshed now. You're getting filled because the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to encourage you and give you the consolation of the mercy of Christ. What a blessing. Let me go back. We'll, we'll finish up. I'll try and finish up quickly. Um, Philippians. And next week, well, next time we're together, we're going to come to one of the most important passages in all Scripture, beginning in verse 5, Let this mind be in you. We're just going to get to verse 4 today because we want to spend a lot of time on that passage. But right here, he's just saying, look, I know when you're furthering the gospel, you're going to come into adversaries, but I want you never to have fear of your adversaries. You go out there, verse uh, 1, there's going to be the the consolation in Christ. There's going to be the comfort of love. There's going to be the fellowship of the Spirit. There's going to be the bowels and the mercies, and you are going to fulfill my joy because you're going to be like-minded Having the same love of one accord and of one mind. What I'm going to do, what God's going to do, is bring you together in one accord. I said, now, in, the, in our country, we're Americans here, everybody talks about our nation's divided. Can it come together? Only in Christ. Only Christ can get rid of the divisions. In Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female there's neither bond nor slave, there's neither rich nor There's neither black nor white. We're all together in Jesus Christ. We're given one accord, one heart. We're given the same love, the love of God in Jesus Christ, which is same applied to all of us. There are no differences in Christ. There may be different roles that we have, but when it comes to our souls, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. As a matter of fact, we were talking about this the other day. I mean, right now there's one of my boys in the back. There's Andrew, and he's my son right now real soon we're going to be brothers for eternity. My dad, who was my dad, is going to be my brother for all of eternity. We're going to be brought together in one. All the divisions will be brought together in eternity. And they start right now in the fellowship of the gospel and the fellowship of, there is no other way. There's one accord. I'm just going to go to the Acts of the Apostles. We'll just look at that phrase Five times in the Acts of the Apostles, because it's more places in the Bible. But since the Acts of the Apostles was the beginning of the church, here we are in the church. What can God do with us right now? Philippi was a church. Grace and truth is a church. Our sister churches are churches. What can God do to put us in one accord? Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and well, verse 13. They all were come and went into an upper room. We're no longer on the carnal street level anymore. God has lifted us up a level. He's taken us off the earthly plane to the spiritual plane. That would be a picture. Back then it was just a second story somewhere. But we're up on a higher level now. And, and, and there's Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon Zelotes, Judas the brother of James. And you know what they did? They all continued with one accord in prayer. God will unite our hearts in prayer. Prayers that will be directed by His Spirit according to His Word. Initially, we might pray for different things, When I was first saved, I was kind of hoping God would be my genie. I prayed for some selfish things. But God has united my prayers with others. At first my prayers were more self-centered and more family-centered. But now we're united. When I hear of a need in another family, I'm united in prayer with my brother and sister for that need. Amen. What a blessing. One accord in prayer. Uh, Look at the next chapter, chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Later on in verse 46 it will say uh, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They had a gathering place where they would meet. Yeah. Where does it, it, could be the side of, uh, it could be a, a park. Remember when, Deb, early on with our church we had a pavilion in the park and we all gathered there together And here we are, we're on picnic tables, and yeah, there was some food, but the Bibles came out, and all of a sudden we're at the picnic table with the Bibles, and we're talking Bible, and we're studying the Scriptures, and then all of a sudden we close the Bibles, and we're praying together, and we're in one accord together. Now today the temple is the church for us. And what God wants to do is bring us in one accord in prayer, and one accord in the assembly forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. Particularly as we see the day approaching. Which day? Not only the coming of Christ, but the day of our adversaries trying to do us harm. We need to be together praying for one another. And in one accord, Paul says, go to the fourth chapter, Acts. Look at verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And and what he's saying right here is we're in one accord in praise. I mean, we get in here and we have our praise songs and our hymns that we have and you hear us together, voices united. Often we'll say that a little church it almost sounds like 150 people are in here and there's only 35 or 40 of us. We sometimes open the windows and they can hear us down the street. We're in one accord in praise to our God. And God's united our heart in praise. I didn't praise Him when I was lost. But now all of a sudden we're brought together in prayer, in assembly, in praise. Go to chapter 8. Acts. verse 5, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. And we're in one accord with our spiritual desire to hear more of the word of God and more of the teaching of the word of God and more of the preaching of the gospel. It's an amazing thing. We're out there on the streets and, and of course uh, there's only a few of us that have a, an amplifying device and fewer of us like Kevin who can just preach with their natural voice. But so you've got the corners lined and there's a couple of men preaching and then next to the men there are some men and some ladies holding scripture signs. And and I'm thinking here comes the next stoplight. I got 60 seconds to preach a message and I preach the message and then they move on. And then another group comes and I preach, and I'm thinking so often I'm preaching the same thing. And yet, the people holding the signs are nodding their head. I mean, instead of being bored by it, they're in one accord with a spiritual desire to hear the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. The saints love it. We enjoy hearing the word of God. This is what God's done for us. Yes, brother. Amen. And he says, and while while I'm preaching, they're praying. That's a good thought, because I need prayer, brother. But, But the prayer, the assembly, the praise, the spiritual desire, our hearts have been united to do that. We used to, one of the problems for lost people is finding a soulmate, because they might have areas where they agree and areas where they disagree, but in this gospel, we're all brought into one accord of agreement where we love the same things. What a blessing. I love the gospel. I hope it's with you. Let me show you one other thing. Last one. Acts 15. This is the consolation in Christ. Acts chapter 15. And what happened here is they had gotten together for a big conference to determine a very important doctrinal issue, and it was all done. They agreed that the prophets wanted it this way, and this is the way the Lord would have it. And in verse 25, he says, "...it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." And so we've sent Judas and Silas too who will tell you the same things. We have one accord when it comes to missions. Now when I was a lost man, I couldn't care less about any country around the world. I cared a bit about the United States. I cared most about my family. It was a very localized parochial interest. If something happened over there, it was over there. I don't care. But now in Christ. I'm concerned about the souls in the Philippines. I'm worried about our missionaries in Chile. I'm worried about the missionaries we have in Africa. I'm concerned about those things. Who put that heart in me? It's the Lord. Has he put it in you? That's what he does. He's concerned about those souls. He's not willing that any should perish and his desire is the fields are white on the harvest. We need laborers for the harvest and we have one. That's the consolation of Christ. And we stop worrying about insignificant things and we rejoice in the things we have in communion with Christ. What a blessing. So so we we no longer have to fear. We have one accord. The one other thing he wants to say, and we'll close in Philippians is not only do we have joy, verse two, and we have the same love given by God, and we have one accord, we now have one mind. One mind. Now this phrase is found in places in the Bible. I, I looked at these phrases, one accord, one mind. I was looking, and, and I want to learn from the Scriptures. The first reference goes back to Job chapter 23. I like to let the Scriptures speak. They're, they're much better than I am. Job 23. In this chapter, Job Job has been through more than we can even imagine. It may be possible that single-handedly Job suffered more than all of us collectively in what he lost in such a short period of time. And he's saying in the beginning of the chapter, my, my complaint, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. You think I'm complaining? You do you know what's going on in my heart. It's killing me what's happened. I lost all my family. My wife is separated from me. I'm, I'm sick now. I've got a disease. I can't get near anybody. I've lost all my wealth. It's, it's very difficult, verse 3, oh, that I know where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Verse 13, because he is in one mind. The, you know where one mind is? It starts in God. See, Paul says, I want you to be in one mind. Which mind? The mind of God, the mind of Christ. Not the natural mind, not your own thinking. And and whose mind it's going to be God's mind, and God's going to put He's going to do a heart transplant and a mind transplant in getting you to reorientate your thinking. How does um you <laughs> He'll straighten out the kinks in your head. He'll get rid of your stinking thinking because we have some things that uh, like garlic. It's not not good. God's is sweet, a sweet aroma, and the, and a. Uh, and the uh, incense of prayer, and God's going to put that mind in you that's in the Lord. What is that mind going to make us like? Go to Romans 15. As God begins to put that mind, that eternal mind little by little and pour it into our mind and get us to think right. Romans 15 verses 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he said the like-mindedness and the one mind is according to Christ Jesus. He wants your mind to be renewed like Jesus Christ's mind. And Jesus Christ was here to glorify God and His Father. And, and Jesus Christ was always speaking the glory of God and the goodness of God, and He's trying to give us that in mind. Our mind tends to by gravity start looking down, and God's trying to get it to look up. This is temporal, folks. That's eternal. This is going to fall apart. That's going to be built by God into a temple in heaven where there are many mansions. The glory of God we need to be lifting up. And that's the mind of Christ. God's putting the Christ-like mind into us as long as we you know, stay in the assembly, stay in prayer, uh, stay in proper praise, as long as we don't let the adversary terrify us and let the spirit of fear come in, but we let God's power and His mind come in us. Oh, these are the blessings. This is the consolation in Christ. Christians should be smiling more when they think about what God's got planned for them. I have not seen nor ear heard the thing that God has prepared for them that love Him. Th- and we only see these in the Scriptures. This is the consolation of Christ, the Christ-likeness. The other thing He's going to give us, go to 2 Corinthians 13. Who's going to do it? Our God, what's He going to do? He's going to make us like Christ. Second Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, my brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. What he's trying to say to this church, this church had divisions. He said, I hear from Chloe, this guy's arguing this way this one's following this one. You guys are all divided. What the mind of Christ and Christ's likeness is going to do is going to give you a unity. You will be perfect. You will be comforted. You will live in peace. I think one of the things that troubles the Lord is when there are, there's bickering in a church. There, I'll tell you this much there will be no bickering in heaven. Amen. Nothing that defiles enters into heaven, and bickering defiles. God does not like bickering. But you know what? We can begin to have that peace right here. This can a consolation of Christ if we just appropriate it. Well, our God wants to make us Christ-like and give us unity, and the way, of course, He's going to do it is in the gospel, like He said in Philippians chapter 1. So, so, But there's one other way he's going to do it. Go back to 1 Corinthians 1. This is one of the problems that happens. We're to be of one mind. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make it Spiritual presumption here. Let's say Paul could be resurrected or brought back down, and but his body resurrected. His body's waiting to be resurrected. But God resurrected it just for a day and said, "Paul, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go to the biggest mega church in Chicago." And Paul, at that mega church, you know what's going on. There's, there's all different things that call themselves a Bible. And this cannot be so because there's only one word of God with a capital W. There's only one word of God with a little W. Paul would walk right into that church and he would say verse 10. He'd walk right in and say, I beseech you brethren at this mega church here in Chicago. I can name it, but I'm not going to. That by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that ye would all speak the same thing. That there would be no divisions among you but that you would be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How is God going to give us one mind through one Bible? This, this problem didn't exist at the time of Philippi, but it exists today. And if we want the consolation of Christ, remember I showed you the word fear not, that phrase fear not 62 times? In the King James Bible, zero in an NIV. Zero. Zero. Fear not. Zero. Every reference i written, not there. One accord. I showed you all those. One in Acts, zero in the NIV. One mind. I showed you Job, God, taken away out of, in the NIV. I showed you the gospel, taken away in the NIV. I showed you how he does it, taken away in the NIV. Diffusion. Confusion. Back to where we are in Philippians. We tried an experiment here one day. We took seven different Bibles. We all got up and we read Psalm 23. It was a mess. We weren't speaking the same thing. We were speaking different things. It was a cacophony of confusion. Our God's not the author of confusion. Confusion. Paul says, look, I want you to have, verse 1, the consolation of Christ. I want you to have the comfort of His love, the fellowship of His Spirit, the bowels and the mercies and the joy and the same love and the one accord and the one mind, and that's going to come from your Father who's given you the manna from heaven. This is a sad thing. When the manna came down, they said, what is it? We don't know what it is. Today, the average Christian couldn't tell you what Bible is God's. We don't know, what it is. We know which Bible. We don't know what the manna is. But God would like you to know that. And this opens up the well inside of you so that you can have the consolations, that you can strive together for the faith of the gospel. The words have not changed. Uh, Sometimes with other words, you get another Christ, you get another gospel, you get another spirit. But with this book, you get the Christ of the Bible, you get the spirit that wrote it, and you get the gospel that saves. The gospel of salvation. And so verse 3, let nothing be done through strife. Different Bibles bring striving. Vain glory. Mine's better than yours. Mine's closer to the originals. Yeah, right. Uh, But lowliness of mind. Esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And I just close with what he's saying here is in the fellowship of the church. He's not saying worry about the This guy's not clothed out there. He doesn't have money out there. The community he's talking about is the church. Paul is looking at, you're going to have missionaries who are in bonds like I am. You need to look out for them. You need to be concerned for them. You need to be praying for them. You need to be giving them the consolation in Christ. You need to be comforting them with your love. You need to give them the fellowship of the Spirit, maybe visit them like Silas came to visit me. You need to do these things. He's talking about building the church, the pillar, and the ground of truth that exists for one purpose, for the glory of God to lift up the name above every name, the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the consolation in Christ. Amen. Father, we do thank you. The name above all names, the consolation that comes with that name, the comfort that comes with that name, the one accord that comes with that name, the one mind that comes with that name, and the assurance, fear not, I'm with thee. In the time of peril, on the, on the journey of life, the supplies in time of need, the strength and weakness and the companionship, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lord, we thank you in the name of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.